Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot tennis podcast by fans i'm joel i'm kim and today we are looking back on all the action from lexington and prague the announcement that novak djokovic is in for the us open whilst bianca andrescu defending champion is out please take your seats quickly ladies and gentlemen thank you everyone welcome back to another episode of the passing shot i hope you're all well kim i'm really happy actually because we're recording now in 20 probably around 20 degrees celsius which is a, a complete complete difference uh from last week where i genuinely felt like i was melting whilst we were recording our, our last catch-up see joel i would much rather have the heat wave still going on <laughs> i i love like hotter temperatures i actually went for a swim in the sea in england this week for the first time in in so long um (laughs) which was lovely i just wish we had that weather like almost all the time i'm such a heat person um i don't know about you but I, i i could be out in the sun all the time Yes, last week, yes, I was recording in shorts and a t-shirt, but now I have, I've been able to put on a long sleeve t-shirt, which, which feels like I have been able to do so for like the first time in a long while. But yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely glad that I, I'm no longer going to be sweating buckets through <laughs> the next 50 minutes or, or however long. <laughs> well, it'll be the woolly jumper season soon, and then we'll be lamenting the fact there's no more heat. But um, but we've had, you know, um, lots of tennis in the last week to get our teeth into, uh, whatever the weather has been doing in the UK. Um, funnily enough, Joel, I know I remember last weekend we recorded and, and I was so sure that Camilla Georgie was going to beat Fiona Ferro in that semi-final out in Palermo. Know, and then I Fiona Ferro goes and wins the whole tournament, <laughs> which uh, just shows how much I know about tennis, really. But um, yeah, she was our first WTA winner back on tour uh, since the coronavirus, you know, suspension. So well done to her for making history, I suppose. That might be a, a quiz question for the future, perhaps. It was quite funny seeing her, you know, holding up the trophy for all the pictures, you know, with a, a lovely uh, mask on. So I, I guess that's just how it's going to be from now on, isn't it? It feels like a lot, all the players are still kind of getting used to it, you know, getting their face mask going off court. And, you know, even the, the, prize ceremony feels completely alien to you know what it was before and you know seeing you know players lift their trophies with face masks on it is very kind of striking isn't it in terms of (laughs) this is the situation we're in yeah I do feel like you know they should have have like a a nicely designed you know customized face mask instead of just those like generic you know disposable ones like in the f1 they all seem to have like you know team colors and and it just looks a bit smarter, but um, maybe, you know, tennis is a bit behind that. <laughs> they should definitely, the sponsors should definitely be getting their own yeah, uh, like Nike their players or, to, to wear face, yeah. their face masks. I'm surprised they haven't 
haven't done that yet. But anyway, let's talk about what's been going on this week. So we've had Lexington and Prague. I think maybe we should begin in Lexington, Joel, because that's kind of been where most of the talking points have come come from this week. Um, not the final we expected, though. You know, we had a whole host of, of big names in the tournament. And today we've got a Jennifer Brady versus Jill Teichman final coming up, which is perhaps, <laughs> uh, you know, slightly surprising. I love how you said there was, you know, a lot of big names in the draw. I felt like the, all the big names were literally in the very top, top quarter. We had Venus, uh, Venus Williams, Serena Williams, Victoria Azarenka all in that, uh, very top bit. So it was an absolutely, uh, great, I guess, for popcorn matches to begin with in kind of round one and, and round two. But yeah, the final has thrown up a bit of a surprise, you'd have to say, with Jennifer Brady and uh, Jill Teichman. But, you know, looking at their looking at their results and their routes to the final, they've they've probably been, you'd say, the most arguably the the most informed players in the tournament. I don't think either of them have dropped a set. I don't think either of them have played a tiebreak all week so far. So they've definitely been the, the the form players this week and have been able to kind of find and get back to that level that they were playing at um you know before before lockdown. And and just a word really on Jennifer Brady because really, you know, 2020 is proving to be a bit of a, a breakout season for her. I know she's you know ranked in the the top I think she's just about ranked in the, the top 50 or there thereabouts at the moment. Um, but, you know, she beat, she had that great start to the year where she beat um, you know, Ash Barty and Brisbane. Um, and, you know, she carried that on in Dubai where she went on a bit of a run of form and beat uh, Svitolina and, and Muguruza as well. So, you know, Brady's breakout season is continuing and, you know, she is looking very, very handy on a tennis court. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I think she's actually playing above her ranking at the moment. I think she could definitely put a push towards, um, you know, being seeded at the Grand Slams because I think she's going to be a, a dangerous threat to, to anyone who faces her, um, you know, in the upcoming upcoming tournaments. Yeah, she's definitely one to watch the US Open and I guess she won't be seeded for that um, unless by winning this, it sort of elevates her to, to just get in. I'm not sure, but certainly not a player you'd want to face in the early rounds. And um, I think she's always been one of those players that I've, yeah, like, I've never been that surprised, I suppose, if she does pull off the odd, you know, upset. Um, she's kind of been there or thereabouts, like in the stratosphere for a while. So it's nice that if she can actually finally, like, really build on that. Um, and obviously she beat Heather Watson, didn't she? Uh, really comfortably at the start of the week. So it, I guess seeing that Brady's now gone all the way through to the final doesn't make uh, Heather's defeat seem so bad in retrospect. Um but we had Serena Williams, obviously, uh, playing for the first time in months and months. Um, and, well, she ended up losing to Shelby Rogers in the quarterfinals, which I think was the first time in about eight years that Serena had lost to someone ranked outside the top 100. Uh, I think Shelby Rogers is about 116 in the world. So... Doesn't happen very often, does yeah. it? I think it was uh, Raz Razano at the French Open uh, listeners might recall the last time this sort of thing happened. But yeah, it was a bit of a mixed bag, wasn't it, for for Serena Williams? I felt, uh, you know, during uh, Lexington. I mean, you know, I think she, she was kind of saying in in kind of her press conferences, you know, she was going into the tournament with no expectation. She just wanted to get you know time on court. She wasn't looking to go out and win the title. And I wonder if, you know, fans are literally just seeing, you know, Serena Williams in the draw and thinking, oh, this is a, you know, this is a dead cert for, for Serena. But I think for her, it was really just kind of about getting, 
you know, match practice on a tennis court. And, you know, she definitely got that. I mean, she had, I think she had, what, three, three set matches. Mm. Uh, you know, the match with Shelby Rogers went to a, a final set tie break. She was 4-2 down to, to Venus Williams, which will, will, her sister, which we'll get on to. And Perra in the, in the first round easily could have, uh, you know, come out uh, in, uh, with the win there as well. So I think, you know, she definitely played some, some good tennis. She did, she also had some moments where I think she was a, you know, a little bit flat, but I think she'll be happy, um, with the time that, that she spent on, on the court. And I mean, Shelby Rogers, were you expecting that? I mean, I was not expecting that. No, I thought, you know, after Serena had come through Pera and, and her sister, I thought, you know, maybe <laughs> Shelby Rogers would be, uh, she'd also get through that one. But obviously it was very close last set tie break. So um, I think, you know, as you said, like she is quite relaxed. And I think the, the fact there was no crowd there, I think Serena actually came out after saying that she found that quite nice in a way. I guess maybe it does just take a bit of the pressure off. You know, some people really feed off a crowd, but... I don't. I don't think Serena necessarily needs that. She she maybe actually would prefer that. So maybe going into the US Open, that might be to her to her benefit. I mean, to Shelby Rogers' credit, I mean, I think she was like three love down after you know nine minutes and lost the first set six one. But it really shows you how she was able to kind of think on her feet on a tennis court and kind of change her tactics up. And I don't think she even faced a break point in um, you know the second and third set. So. You know, arguably, I think if there is one thing, you know, coming out of this tournament that Serena Williams will want to work on, it's probably her, you know, her return game. Um, because, yeah, I don't think, I mean, yes, it did go to a final set tiebreak, but Shelby Rogers didn't really feel any sort of pressure moments or pressure points, you'd say, you know, in, you know, for the majority of that match. But, um, you know, it was, it was great to see. And I think, yeah, I was reading an article and I think it was an interesting point that it was raised around kind of the fact of, you know, lockdown and kind of seeing what, where people's levels are at and it's interesting I think to see players like Jennifer Brady in the final who you know are younger up and coming and you know they can literally just focus on tennis and tennis alone um, you know during you know during the lockdown and during the hiatus whereas you might say you know players like Serena Williams, Victoria Azarenka, you know, they've got different, they might have a different outlook. They've got different priorities being, you know, mums and, you know, taking care of their kids. And it might have been harder for them, you know, maybe to just kind of focus on, you know, getting on the court and putting all the, the practice in. So, you know, I do wonder whether these kind of tournaments that we're seeing kind of start back up, whether we're going to see the, you know, the younger players, the players who, you know, maybe can just focus on tennis and concentrate on that alone, be able to, um, you know, are we going to see them in the, in the business end of the tournaments? Because they've been able to put all the practice in possible over the last few months or so. Yeah. And I suppose also like um, if you get used, if, if, if players get used to traveling with, you know, lots of family around them and, and maybe their kids and stuff, and then you, you go to the US Open and you're like limited with the, number of people you can have and your your setup isn't quite the same that might also interfere with how well you you know you're preparing so I think yeah that's going to be a real you know interesting thing like to observe when we're into the US Open to see who it is that sort of come out of the blocks fastest but just a note on Venus as well Joel I mean I guess the Venus Serena match that we had in Lexington, possibly one of the most competitive ones between them in many years. And uh, Venus had actually tweaked her her service action um, over over lockdown. She's been working on it, which is, you know, she's what? How how old is she? Forty? Thirty nine? Forty? I'm not exactly I know. sure. 40, but she's still working. Forty years on, old. Yeah, and obviously still working on you know improving and and maybe she's you know having to do this because of 
you know, injuries and niggles. But um, I thought that was just an interesting, interesting observation. Mm. Um, and obviously she beat Azarenka comfortably um, in, in the first round. So, uh, you know, good, good, good kind of performances for Venus, I suppose, in, in the last week. Yeah, Venus Williams. I looked. I mean, she looked. Let's have, let's face it. She looked better um, after the kind of first round matches. If you compare her against her sister, and actually, I had her as uh, you know starting a little bit as the favourite. Um, you know, in that in that matchup uh, against her sister, which you know you wouldn't have normally said because you know I think you know Serena's got had the better rub for you know quite some time against Venus, but. Um, yeah, it's interesting that she has used lockdown to kind of focus on on almost kind of reassess different parts of her game, and you know her service action feels a little bit more abbreviated. It looks a little bit more like I wouldn't say like slingy, um, and it's quite kind of fluid and has I think less components. And um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that you know that develops. Um, you know, with the you know with the tournaments coming out, obviously with the the US Open, but it's it's great to see you know no matter how much tennis you've played in your career, you're still looking at your game. You're not resting on any laurels. You're thinking about how I can improve, how can I adapt? And, um, you know, I think that's, that's really kind of great inspiration to, you know, for everyone else kind of looking to get back out there. And I think also kind of just, you know, fans and and club players, like, you know, if you've been playing tennis for 20 years, you don't have to kind of rest on, you know, what you've got. You can always kind of go back to the drawing board and, and even the top players, like Venus Williams are doing that. And, um, you know, I hope it, I hope it pays dividends for her because she did look really, really good, um, against Azarenka. She looked really good against, uh, Serena Williams. So I'm hoping that she can kind of pick up a bit of form, which I think was, you know, was certainly lacking, um, you know, pre, uh, you know, pre lockdown. Exactly. No, it's, uh, it's, there's always hope to, to change and improve and amend things, uh, so, yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about Coco Goff as well, because obviously we were very intrigued to see what she was going to be doing in Lexington. Um, obviously, she's had a few great matches. Uh, the Sabalenka match, the Onziabur match. Um, <laughs> mm. She spent a lot of time on court. So going into the semi against Brady, I think, you know, just a bit a bit too much, really. But um, yeah, I mean, what do you what do you make of Coco Goff, uh, her performance this week? I think, you know. She's obviously shown she's a real fighter, which we kind of knew already. You know, she was down against Onjibor. I think it was 6-4, 4-2 down, um, came back and won that. The Sebalenka match, you know, it wasn't like the most amazing tennis, but she just got the job done, got through it, which is what you have to do a lot of the time, you know, winning ugly. Um, so, you know, again, just reiterating the fact that she is one to watch and a player that I guess is always going to captivate captivate the crowds even if there aren't any <laughs> the crowds at home i know it's just such a shame there's no there's no crowd i mean just i've just very quickly on that venus serena match did you see there was like a visual of a, a of a attendant just kind of like on her on the ground yeah. just like looking under <laughs> the fence just to try and get just to try and get a view which i kind of love that dedication but yeah it's just such a shame it's also a bit weird i think you know shelby rogers you know wins you know the match of her life against serena williams to what a crowd of like 10 15 people and it's you know it's a bit it is a bit weird and i do wonder if you know with those sorts of moments whether those sorts of players are a bit like oh i, I kind of wish I'd, I'd i could i did this in front of a, a crowd you know cheering and um you know that buzz and that atmosphere but um but yeah i think with coco goff uh yeah she she played some great tennis i mean as you said she's a she's a fighter and I mean, if she talked about her her mentality 
um, her mindset, her positive approach on the court, which really kind of she was focusing on this week. We know that she's a great ball striker and, you know, she's able to live with, you know, she's able to live with kind of the power of, you know, for example, a Sabalenka on, on a tennis court. But, you know, what really kind of impressed me was, you know, the situation she found herself in, those were difficult situations and she was able to kind of navigate through them. And, you know, that sort of adversity, it just, just, just goes to show you that she is a, she is a real prospect. The fact that she's already doing this stuff at 16 years old, it it's incredible. Um, you know, cause a lot of players, you know, a lot of players in, you know, who've you know, less, you know, more experienced players would have buckled under those situations and just kind of, you know, um, you know, and fallen to defeat. But, you know, Coco Goff's developing this sort of never say, never say lose attitude that, um, you know, has been, you know, has been really impressive. And I think it was, for me, it was kind of shown the most, um, you know, against, uh, against Sabalenka, against, you know, number two seed. You know, I don't think she, she doesn't, you know, the fact that she's had such big wins under her belt already, it feels like, you know, whenever she steps on court, she genuinely thinks, she can she can win whoever she's got across the court whether that's the number two seed whether that's a you know a former grand slam champion she's going out on the court to win exactly she um you know she's got that that right attitude and mindset and she's quite fearless which i love um so i'm i'm you know i've said this many times before but yeah i'm super excited to see what she's going to do um interesting about the coaching though on 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 court um the umpire, you know, saying that she had to be in the corner to receive the sort of on-court coaching. Well, you know, from her coach, but but she wasn't quite standing in the right place, which is, I mean, like just an interesting observation from from that. I mean, does it really matter exactly like where you are? I mean, I know it was a bit it was a bit strange because I was watching it live and I wasn't really sure, and I don't think the commentators were actually sure what was what was the issue. Um, you know, for for listeners. Um, who might not be aware there's no on-court coaching there is now side court coaching so um you know goss coach was you know at the you know the baseline in in the stands and you know i think that the the umpire was just basically saying yeah goff you have to be in the corner in order to kind of receive advice you can't just have your coach um you know just kind of talk to you whilst you're you know just i guess prowling the baseline between you know between points um but yeah i know to your point i'm a bit like uh, um, it feels a bit, you know, if if you can have coaching, why can't it just be? It doesn't matter where Goff, you know, Goff is standing on a court. So I don't know if the, the WTA might look at that incident and and kind of iron that out and with the players because it does feel maybe like a little bit of a a grey area. I suppose they want to know exactly when they're receiving said coaching. So by having them stand in a particular place, I, I can see that actually why that would make sense, but. Otherwise, it becomes a bit like they could just have this stream of kind of coaching being thrown at them throughout the whole match. I don't know. I, did, I do quite like, though, the side the side coaching. I know we were kind of talking about, oh, is on-court coaching the next new thing? But I actually quite like the side court coaching because it feels, it feels less intrusive. It feels less, um, you know, like confrontation almost like confrontational quite like that it's like a bit more casual um i don't know what listeners think whether they prefer on-court coaching or side court coaching or no coaching at all but um i quite liked the 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 kind of the dialogue you can have like between you know this the stadium and the court you know i don't think this is probably going to be possible when there's going to be a full capacity Mm, crowd exactly Um, 
But I think at the moment, I think it, I think it works quite well, but there might just be a few kind of issues to kind of tweak out. Um, Kim, before we kind of move on to talk about the Brits, uh, you know, with Watson and Conta, Sabalenka and Sabalenka's arm tattoo. The tiger. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you can see it. It's, it's not, it's, uh, it's pretty intimidating, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of it myself, but I think um, it suits her personality. Um, and I think, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not for me, but, you know, I'm, I'm not really a tattoo person. Um, mm. It's quite, like, big and bold, but, I, you know, she is that sort of, like, fearless kind of character as well. So good yeah, for her. I, I was trying to think. I was trying to think who on court, who uh, on tour has the best, has the best tattoo. I oh, mean, if we're saying, shout. yeah, yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's, let's debate it for potentially another, another episode, but let's just get in touch. If, do you like Sabalenka's tattoo or who's got the best, who's got the best, best tattoo, tattoo on, in on tennis? The... That's a good shout. <laughs> I, I, I don't normally like, you know, really pay much attention. So this will make me start looking. I think at the US Open, I'm going to be like, tattoo watching um <laughs> but yeah let's uh, before we move on to talk about prague just a note on joe conta not a great start uh coming back you know uh onto the tour I mean, it could have been a lot worse it could have been yeah i mean after three de- three games she was you know suffering heart palpitations and struggling uh health-wise in her match against uh marie buskova but bowskova Okay, that's it. Um, So she got the doctor out on court. And and basically, she said that this happens quite a lot with her. Like her heart rate goes up and, you know, really high makes her feel quite lightheaded, Um, which I assume she's kind of, you know, had medical help over this. But yeah, it doesn't kind of bode that well. I I didn't know that she had to kind of manage this, this sort of thing happening. So yeah, it wasn't the best start, but I'm hopefully she can, I mean, it was quite difficult, you know, conditions heat wise. So hopefully things will be a bit more kind of normal in New York. Like there won't be such extreme weather, but you know, New York often does throw up that around the time of the US Open. We've seen all sorts of weather. So yeah, I'll just have to wait and see on this one, I think. Yeah. And uh, just very quickly as well, let's let's talk about Sloane Stevens because, uh, you know, I, I know Conta and Watson didn't have a good time of it, but arguably probably the player who had the worst time of it was Sloane Stevens. I mean, I mean, Leila Fernandez, Leila Annie Fernandez from Canada, she's a great prospect. There's no doubt about that. I mean, she beat Sloane Stevens, I think, earlier on in the year. Um, but for Sloane Stevens, the manner of the defeat, I was just looking at her on court, it was not, it was not good. The, you know, there was, it just felt like there was no energy there. She didn't look interested at all. It didn't look like she had, you know, put in the, you know, the hard work over a lockdown. Um, and, you know, it, it just, I mean, it just unraveled first. She lost in straight set, 6-3, six, 6-3. Three, six, three. I think she's on, she, for me, she's on like a slippery slope here. She's, you know, dare I say, she, it feels like she's on a trajectory maybe that Eugenie Bouchard found herself, uh, you know, on after getting to, you know, the Wim- Wimbledon final against Kvitova. But, you know, this is a slippery slope. And if so Stevens you know, doesn't address it, you know, her ranking is going to, is going to slide and, you know, it's going to become a lot, it's going to become a lot harder for her. I mean, Kim, some of the, the losses she's had this season, 
they're not great, are they? No, she's had a few um, losses to players like outside the top 200. Um, yeah, her ranking could well plummet if, if she kind of keeps this up because she hasn't had a very good year of it at all. Um, lost to a qualifier, the AO, you know, um, just just not, not, you know, nothing of note really. Lost oh, the wild cards. Yeah. Yeah, she's just not there. I don't know, maybe there's something going on like personally for her. She's just, you mm-hmm. know, over the, the the lockdown as well. Maybe she's just sort of, you know, it's, it's sometimes people change, don't they? Things change, circumstances change. So, you know, now we've said this though, she'll probably go and like win the US Open or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I've, I think the que- I think the question here is, I think this, or this is like almost kind of a warning sign that you know, it, if you become a Grand Slam champion, is you know, does that have that question of is you know, is that enough and you know, does that bring into kind of question your kind of motivation and, and enthusiasm for getting onto a court because you're a Grand Slam champion? And I think, you know, in the case of Stone Stevens, it's frustrating because you've seen the talent out there. You can see, yes, she's a Grand Slam champion, but she could be a multiple time Grand Slam champion if she really you know, applies herself. And, you know, she's not doing that at the moment. And, you know, going into that match against uh, Leila Fernandez, I, I think I was reading kind of the bookies almost had it evens. And I was like, that's no that that's that is how far i think you know uh, you know a grand slam champion can can fall and um you know i hope she can kind of rectify the situation but it's it's not going to be easy and i know i know she's brought back her coach that she was with um that kind of coached her to kind of us open success but um yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of hard work uh, ahead yeah, exactly. Uh, one player who is a slam champion, Joel, who's been doing pretty well um, since things have started back up is Simona Hallett out in Prague. So she's been making her way through the draw quite nicely. She's into the final against Elise Merton. So very much um, kind of a fairly predictable final. Hallett Merton's top seed against the third seed. Um, not really too much to say about it, I suppose. Um, she's doing well. Um, I mean, <laughs> Kim, I feel like the biggest question with Simona Halep at the moment is, is she going to play the US Open? I well, feel like yeah. this is the most drawn out, uh, one of the most drawn out uh, topics at the moment uh, in regards to, to Flushing Meadows. Is, is Halep going to play? I think she's going to make a decision, maybe even after this this final to, uh, today. Um, but yeah, I think I think kind of the story of the week really with Halep is she, she's been winning. I think she's been winning ugly. Um you know, I think she's had a fair, fair few three setters en route. She's looked rusty at times, but I think, you know, I think she said herself, you know, this this tournament really for her is all about kind of finding her level. Um, I think she got a little bit lucky against, you know, Begu in the semis. Uh, she had to, you know, come back after darkness and, and play her quarterfinal uh, before the semi. Um, so, you know, I think Merton's actually for me is in better, is in better form. Um, Although Merton you know, had, Hallett... had a close semi against Christina Pliskova, Carolina's sister, so just edge that one. Um, I mean, we, in... all, Kim, we all know how terrible our predictions are. But, oh, I know, um, I know. I, and I, also, I... <laughs> we should just say Merton's had a bit of a battle against uh, Eugenie Bouchard um, in the quarterfinal. So you know, Bouchard has sort of had a, a bit of a run of form in uh, in Prague. You know, it's actually the her first tournament back since January because she was out injured before before everything ground to a halt. Um, I think she's going to go up about fifty eight ranking places after her run this week. So she's still going to be like 
in the 200s of the rankings. But um, in terms of her form, um, she was looking a lot better than she has, you know, uh, in, in recent years. And uh, yeah, she lost 6-4 in the third set to Mertens. But um you know, it it was close, and she could well have she could well have done it, and uh, she beat uh, Kuda Matova very comfortably in the first round. Um, you know, who's much much higher ranked. So um, impressive stuff from Bouchard, like in terms of what what she's been doing for most of the past few years. So I, I guess she's not going to be at the US Open, though, is she? Because she's too lowly ranked, and she hasn't got a wild card. So you know, if she was there, she might have maybe gone on an outside run I don't know yeah I think she she looked impressive to me I was watching some of the highlights on YouTube and and she's really got that tenacity and bite I think back into back into her game and I know she's ranked at like uh what was she I think she's even ranked outside the 300 at the moment she needed a wild card for wild card to be in Prague but yeah she looked she looked great and um it was just really great to see I think Eugenie Bouchard back on a court playing tennis and rediscovering that Bouchard of Bouchard of old and Sloane Stevens would do well to kind of look at that and be like look that's you know this is a situation I could find myself in let me I want to bounce back as well and, and Bouchard is certainly doing that it'll be I think she's kind of signed up now to do um, I think potentially some challenges uh, sorry some future uh, some futures on the on the WTA tour in Europe um, because I think she'll be focusing on getting into qualifying for for Roland Garros so you know she can keep it up it'll be interesting to see yeah how she does but I think she'll be I think she'll be staying in in Europe for for the time being and just a note as well um we have had the final this weekend well the finals uh, of the UK Pro Series so it's the UK Pro Classic taking place in Weybridge this week um just kind of like the last weekend of the uh, Pro Series that's been going on uh, during the past few months. So uh, ladies final is Emma Raducanu against Jodie Burridge. I think that's probably a fair um, a fair final in terms of who's been in, in the most form over the past kind of few weeks, especially Jodie Burridge. Um, although Emma Raducanu uh, absolutely thrashed Harriet Dart uh, in the semi-finals. So that was pretty, pretty impressive stuff from her. Um, and then just on the men's side, it's Liam Brody against Ryan Penniston. So that will be taking place, um, it's taking place later today. Yeah. And just a word on the the tournament itself, because I think this has been a great format over the last few weeks. We've you know obviously seen some new players, you know, fans have been seeing, um, you know, what, you know, what some players are all, all about. And it's great to hear also stories um, about the fact that this is supporting, you know, players who aren't at the top end, you know, of, of, of the ranking system, but need tennis to kind of make a living. And I was kind of reading about uh, Nadia Rawson, who was in the the, the women's draw. And um, you know, she was effectively saying, you know, the fact that she was in a, a, an overdraft and uh, was able to kind of use the tournament to help kind of her um, help kind of pay for her kind of student fees f- financially. So it's great to see this, I think, format kind of take place and giving players where, you know, tennis is their kind of working profession, kind of support them um, and also kind of support them, uh, you know, playing, you know, these top players like, you know, Radicanu and, and Harriet Dart as well. So um, I think it's been a roaring success and um, I hope it's, uh, you know, a fixture for, for these sorts of players in the future. Exactly. So we're just going to take a short break now. Uh, and then after the break, we'll be back to discuss all things US Open. Novak Djokovic has said he's in, but Bianca Andreescu's out. So do not go anywhere.
This is The Passing Shot and you're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to, I think, my favourite part of our catch-up pods, Joel, to a little game. And we're bringing back Mysterious Player this week, a bit of old school <laughs> tennis quiz. Going from. old school, love it. <laughs> and I think it's my turn to challenge you, Joel. So, um, mm. yeah, how, how are you feeling today? Confident? Ooh. I mean, we haven't we haven't had mysterious player in a while, have we? So no. I'm hoping my my knowledge has not deserted me. Um, but it probably, let's face it, it probably has. Well, I've chosen an absolutely legendary player for you. So, uh, <laughs> uh, shall I begin? Is it Malik Yaziri? No, it's not Malik Yaziri. <laughs> anyway, that, if, okay. it, if it was, that's not the way we play the game. Right. So, okay. Clue number one. <laughs> I've won two tour level singles titles. Uh, one in 2015 and one in 2017. Mm, only two. Okay. Um, Philip Kranjevich. <laughs> That's really random. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Um, question, uh, question two. Uh, clue number two. Um, I've achieved a career high singles ranking of 33. Oh, okay. Career high singles ranking of 33. Um, uh, um, I want to say someone like... Uh, I want to say like Olivier Rockus. I know that's a bit too early though. Um, but he is a legend. Um, maybe someone like uh, Ruben Bemelman. Ben- <laughs> Ruben Bemelman. <laughs> um, I don't know if he's won two titles, but um, no, it's it's not any of those uh, players. I'll, I'll okay. carry on, right. shall I? Um, question, uh, clue three. I had a car crash in 2001 and was told that I would never hold a racket again. But after two Ooh, years out, I resumed okay. training. Mm. I want to say, for some reason, I wanted to say James Blake, but he ran into a, a tennis post, mm. I think, and got injured. He broke his Car neck. crash. Um, mm, um, no, I don't know. Okay, next, next okay, clue. Okay, uh, next clue. I represent a different country to the one I was born in. Okay, represent a different country to one I was born in. Um, maybe it's like oh, Mar- Mario Ancic. No, it's not Mario Ancic. Was he? Oh. Was he born elsewhere? Then was he? I don't know. I, don't know. I was trying to okay. think. I didn't know if he was. I oh, know. I was thinking uh, Milos Milos Raonic. Oh, I see. You're going down that route. Um, no, it's not Raonic. He's been okay. higher ranked right. than 33. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Next clue. Okay. Um, my most notable victory came at the 2017 Australian Open, where I defeated the defending champion as a wild card in five sets in the second round. Oh... 27 to, uh I feel like all of our listeners know the answer now uh but I definitely <laughs> do not 2017 Australian Open mm. five sets um oh Kim uh, um, <laughs> oh no um I should know so did you say the number two seed uh well it was the defending champion 
Oh, defending champion. Okay, so I think like... so. The person was actually seeded second, yeah, in that match. It was in the second round. Yeah, it's probably like. Oh, uh, Novak. I don't. Okay, is that was that the final clue? Is there any more? No, clues? I've got some more. I've got some more. All right. Um, okay. Next clue. I'm coached by my mother. Um. Oh, this is I'm I'm struggling here, Kim. The, the pressure has got to me. It feels like thirty. It feels like thirty degrees now. Oh, okay. Um, number. Well, I don't know what number this is, but the last clue. Um, I think you'll get this from from this clue. I am famous for wearing glasses on court. Victor Troitsky? No. <laughs> uh, famous for wearing glasses on court. There's not many players um, that wear glasses. Oh, I bet the listeners oh, are like, come on. Yes, come on, I Joel. know. Is it Dennis Isterman? It is Dennis Isterman, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite wow, yes. players. Because he beat Novak he beat Novak Djokovic, didn't he? Oh yes, was, he did. That was, uh... God, I I, that that result falls by the wayside for me. I, I know it's absolutely mind-boggling. Um, I think Novak has was suffering quite a bit with an, an injury, um, which explains it. Because, yeah, it was it was definitely uh, a massive shock, I have to say. But uh, yeah, Dennis Isterman. I didn't know until I was looking uh, his his details up about the car crash uh, that he had back in the day thought that was you know a, an impressive feat to return from that but uh yeah i uh, love a bit of dennis system and listeners let us know if you got that quicker than joel did or if you got it at <laughs> all um, <Probably>. <laughs> <laughs> um and then yeah let, let's move on we'll, we'll have a different game next week perhaps uh a you've been served but we'll see um mailbag joel we've had a, a an email come through from tom with a very interesting question um so let's 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 discuss this one. I'm, I'm loving the question. So following the success of The Last Dance on Netflix, which is the Michael Jordan basketball documentary, if anyone has seen it, um, what story in tennis would you love to see get the full documentary treatment? So obviously we've had Andy Murray resurfacing, um, and obviously we had Olivia, the director of that, on our on our pod. So if anyone hasn't listened to that, then I would thoroughly recommend that you go and do that. Um, but yeah, what other documentaries could be produced about tennis? Like, what stories are there that we could we could film? I mean, for me, I, I was thinking. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of different answers or different ways you could cut this. I feel like it's inevitable once you know the big three retire. Uh, there's going to be a you know a big three documentary netflix style documentary but a story i think for me that i think is very impressive and is one that i don't think is really kind of talked about and kind of appreciated um because i think this player you know it it wasn't like he and it wasn't like a he ended as a grand slam champion um but i still think it's really really impressive and we're going back to 2000 and 2003 and uh, it's an American player uh, our listeners might be familiar with, a guy called Brian Baker, who he got to the 2003 Junior French Open final. He defeated Bagdatis and uh, Joe Wilfred Song along the way. Uh, and he set up a final with uh, Vavrinka, actually. Um, 
and you know it was all set to kind of all set for kind of stardom uh you know going onto the tour making a name for himself etc but unfortunately what happened is he was very in he was obviously kind of uh hit with his injuries and he didn't play tennis between 2005 and 2011 so he was a full six years out from any sort of elite level tennis competition and not only that he had five major surgeries on his body uh he had his left hip right hip hernia right elbow and then one more surgery in his left hip. I mean, this is like, I mean, this feels like a, <laughs> Andy, but it's like a super Andy. Andy yeah, hips um, everywhere. <laughs> Gosh. Um, so, you know, uh, he's had yeah five major surgeries over six years. He could have, you know, probably packed it in, taken a break, you know, retired and probably lived a, you know, cushy life, maybe, you know, mentoring and, and, being a coach of a college, a college uh, university team in, in the States. But um, he decided to put his body back through it in uh, 2011 and entered a few kind of futures tournaments and, and challenges as well. But it was really kind of when he got to the, the 2012 season, this is when the story becomes like incredible uh, because, you know, after that hiatus, he um, you know, makes a name for himself at the, the French Open at Wimbledon. He got to the fourth round of, of Wimbledon. He took Simon to five sets at the French Open in the second round. Um, it was really, you know, it was really impressive stuff to consider, you know, where he had been in terms of, uh, you know, all the industry, all the industries and all the, the pain that he'd probably had gone through in those six years and almost kind of, you know, starting from rock bottom really um, to get to a point where he's making the second week at Wimbledon is absolutely is absolutely amazing, and I think for me, what's most impressive about it is that the the time the the time scale of that is 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 fascinating. The fact that he was able to kind of have that sort of heart and determination over that period of time for me that makes it an absolutely bona fide story uh, for, for Netflix <laughs> or, or Amazon Prime <laughs> to, to to pick up. That would be a yeah very interesting story. I mean, like. Any kind of, you know, comeback story, sporting comeback, you know, from from like injury or I don't know, it's like a rags to riches, but, you know, injury to health. Um, I would like to see like I'd love to be like a fly on the wall documentary sort of style, just focusing on like a, a, a player ranked maybe in like the, the 200s or something, just following them around and like really getting an insight into you know, the everyday life of a tennis player who's not famous or at the top of the game. So you can kind of really get a good understanding of how how it, how it tough it is to actually survive and just, you know, to struggle away on the tour. And I think something like that would be really interesting. I don't know if there would be much of a market globally for people wanting to see something like that. But I think that would like really be a very useful insight. Yeah. If that does happen, can I just can I put forward Dustin Brown as the, the um, player they should yeah. follow? <laughs> He's not lowly ranked enough, though. I'm looking at someone like are you looking at more budget? Ninety oh, okay. world, yeah. What? So um, I'm trying to think. Um, or we could, you know, they could do on on a young up and coming player like Jodie Burridge could get filmed for a oh, year. I'd like to see that. Yeah, but then you know you'd want there to be a real story there you know she could do nothing yeah, some in sort that of year. at the end of it yeah, yeah, yeah but they'd want to like know there was going to be if you're going to like invest in a documentary they'd want to know that there's going to be some kind of i mean mm. i i think maybe like the a sports doping in tennis story like the mariano puerta mm. thing that we discussed last week 
I find that quite interesting. Yeah, juicy. I mean, there have been quite a few other tennis documentaries, like we've had the Venus and Serena one. There's been a few on like Navratilova and, and what have you. So, you know, but for, for for a new documentary, yeah, I think maybe the Brian Baker story, that would be that would be a good one. But yeah, excellent Shout question. Paper. Paper Shout scandal. Paper. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's so many different ways you could look at it, isn't there? Yeah, you can put but, a real um... spin on it. But uh, yes, excellent <laughs> question. Listeners, if you've got any other questions, then give us a shout because um, we love to hear them. So you can see contact us on social media or via email. Um, but Joel, before we kind of uh, close for today, US Open updates. Uh, Novak Djokovic has confirmed that he's in. Uh, he's headed to Cincinnati. I saw him get on the plane yesterday. I mean, not in person, but just, you know, on social media. (laughs) Um, So he's going to be there. I mean, it would make total sense for him, wouldn't it? You know, Roger's not there. uh, Rafa's not there. He wants to add more slams to his collection. He might as well, you know, be there and and do it. I I think it would be silly for him not to, if if the others aren't going to be there. Um, And also, you know, Stan isn't going to be there. Like all the people that could possibly kind of realistically beat him are not going to be there. Um, so is Dennis Sisterman going to be there? Well, I was just thinking that actually. I, I don't think he's actually ranked highly enough yet anymore. Uh, but you never know. Uh, but Andreescu, unfortunately, defending champion, she's out. She's not going to be playing. Um, I don't think she was like necessarily fit enough. I think maybe she's still struggling with the injuries that have have you know put her out since like last October. Yeah, her announcement su- suggested to me more that she just wasn't fit enough as a as opposed to like mm. uh you know I don't I'm I'm not comfortable in terms of kind of health and safety but um it does mean though we're going to have two you know both defending champions are not going to be at the the 2020 US Open so we we're going to have new champions um you know new, as a result um so yeah I mean just kind of talking on on Andrescu I think I mean, what does this mean for Serena Williams? Because you know, for me, I think the, I think you're seeing with the the women's side particularly the fact that you know, no defending champion, no Barty, Svitolina's not going to be there, Burton's, Benchic. We we still don't really know about Simona Halep either. Um, is this just Serena Williams and the rest of the field? Because I think she's the only semi finalist from last year that's that's going to be there. Um, you know, does this does this put Serena Williams in a more sort of pressure filled situation where it's like it's either it's either now or never because of all these all these players dropping out? Yeah, arguably she's going to be under even more pressure because people will see it as more of an opportunity. Like, and whereas I don't know, it's just so difficult to like predict and judge. And I, based on what we saw in Lexington, I'm, I'm like, you know, I know it's early days, but I just don't. I feel like it's I I, I actually don't think Serena will we'll we'll do it i don't i don't think this will be her time i think she was more likely to do it two years ago but anyway <laughs> yeah, because just, just on that because you because earlier you know you we were talking about the fact that she feels like she can elevate her game you know without any crowds around but i, I would argue maybe kind of uh, you know well it, there's nothing stopping your um you know your opponents elevating their game either and you know i do wonder whether you know, players who aren't going to feel the pressure as much of a US Open crowd, you know, baying for, you know, baying for blood of, you know, Serena Williams' next victim or whatever, you know, whether that kind of pressure is off because there's going to be no fans there, whether we're going to see more shocks, um, you know, with the big players potentially 
in the earlier rounds because you know it's what Serena Williams has shown us is that you know everyone is susceptible you know she lost to Shelby she lost to Shelby Rogers after you know beating Venus Williams so I do I do wonder whether you know the fact that there's going to be no crowd that actually is going to help you know the underdogs more um, be able to elevate elevate their games more potentially than Serena Williams uh, doing so herself. Yeah, I mean, it will depend on the draw, you know, which we'll be discussing and analysing in full, I'm sure, when it when it comes out. Um, <laughs> get our teeth into that. But interestingly as well, um, US Open, you know, this has kind of been going around on, on Twitter, that the waiver that all the players are having to sign, uh, basically saying that, you know, it's it's if if they get ill, if they if they die, you know, if, if something terrible happens because of COVID, then they cannot blame, you know, the USTA, um, you know, that they, this what this waiver that they're signing, you know, puts the, the responsibility for their health, you know, on the player themselves. So lots of small print, basically. Um, but, you know, I think this is kind of, I guess, a sta- standard practice, I suppose, from tournaments and organisations, you know, then they don't want to get some lawsuit, um, you know, post-event if something goes wrong. They don't want a Eugenie Bouchard, another Eugenie Bouchard situation, do they? Mm. And I feel like maybe that's what potentially led to, you know, some pretty black pretty black and white language. You know, I voluntarily assume full responsibility for any risk, including serious illness or death. This is a release of liability and agree that it is valid forever. I mean, valid forever he, sounds very dramatic. I, I know, However, I know. Is this just COVID specific or like if a player or, you know, a player's coach or something like trips over on site because of, I don't know, a cable that's like, you know, coming out of the wall and, you know, that wouldn't have passed like standard health and safety. Like, could they still, you know, claim against the USTA for that? Or is this just like, does this, is, is this absolving them of, of anything or is it just COVID? Yeah, it's interesting because because Wesley Wesley Kuhlhoff, uh, one of your favourites, Kim, he he mentioned this on Twitter because he feels like, you know, are the always are the US Open kind of using COVID as an excuse to kind of get out of any sort of future, mm, yeah, any sort of future trouble. So I I mean I don't know. I mean it feels like as you said, this is a very run of the mill um, form that. Um, you know, players are you know players probably signed for lots of different tournaments, but you know there's obviously increased scrutiny, you know, around the U.S. Open. Um, you know, the fact that it's obviously the first Grand Slam back after this hiatus in this brave new world, and also you know the Eugenie Bouchard situation, the fact that you know there was a large settlement that got paid out to, to Bouchard because she you know slipped and fell, uh, you know, in their mm. in their in one of their venues. Um, you know, they're probably a bit more heightened to it um but you know i don't think we're going to be seeing players kind of pull out because of a a waiver but i i think we're going to be i think we are going to see players take more take more look uh take more of a closer look at the, the at the fine print before stepping out onto court yes quite possibly um but obviously before the actual us open we have the cincinnati tournament which has been taking place you know it's going to happen at at the US Open at Flushing Meadows. So we should really call it by its proper name, which is the Western and Southern Open. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've got, I mean, I'm looking forward to that. Um, we'll be kind of probably doing a preview next week. Uh, Novak Djokovic is confirmed to play. Obviously, Andy Murray's got a wild card. Um, you know, Osaka is going to be there, Clysters, Sloane Stevens, Venus Williams. I think Azarenka and, and Zvonareva, uh, they've got wild cards into, into qualies or they, they're going to be qualifying. Yeah. And then also, 
in the doubles, we've had a few sort of announcements of, of doubles draws. Um, Novak's going to be playing doubles um, with Filip Krajinovic. So um, interesting. He's obviously wanting to get as much match practice as possible. And, um, you know, Coco Goff's going to be back in the doubles with McNally. Um, I thought this was an interesting partnership. Sophia Kennan will be playing doubles with Azarenka. So they might be quite Ooh, a formidable okay. team. Grand Slam. Yeah. Another Grand Slam. A, a Double Grand, Grand Slam. slam uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we'll yes. be getting on to, you know, more Cincinnati-related stuff next week. Um, but also a note on Kitzbühel, um, which is happening from the 8th of September. That's going to be taking place um, of the second week of the US Open. So we've had a whole load of players sign up to play Kitzbühel. But it's a bit confusing because basically there's a rule. If you're in the top 10 um, and you're entering Kitzbühel, you can, you're can you only allowed to enter Kitzbühel if you're also entering the US Open. And then basically to then be eligible to play Kitzbühel, you must have competed and lost at the US Open by the 7th of September. Um, so then you can, you know, fly back to Europe and play in Kitzbühel. Um, and obviously, if anyone else has entered Kitzbühel and they're still in the US Open, they they obviously will have to withdraw from Kitzbühel. So there's going to be a lot of withdrawals, I think, before Kitzbühel happens and then a lot of, you know, people coming in to fill their places. Um, it's a bit confusing, but I guess they, they couldn't move the dates for Kitzbühel. So they kind of, and they want to have big names, you know, signing up, but... I guess they need to also be aware that they want to play the open. <laughs> it's going to be really odd. It's going to be really odd having an ATP event on at the same time as a Grand Slam. And, you know, it, it does, it just shows you, I wonder whether there is a bit of a, oh, there is a bit of a divide between Europe and America at the moment. And it, I, I don't know if it will feel like, you know, two tours are running at the, you know, at the same time. But, uh, you know, this is a very, you know, I can't remember the last time we've had a you know an ATP tour level event like Kitzbühel, um, you know, run on the you know the second week of a Grand Slam. So um, it'd be interesting to see you know how that does play out. I wonder if there's going to be some last minute flights uh, from from New York to uh, from the states to Austria. Um, but you know, it, it, it'll be yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, as you said, I'm expecting a wave of a wave of withdrawals. Looking at the the entry list and, and some of the players who were signed up for the U.S. Open and um, yeah, because we've Kitzbühel. got you know Dominic Team, you know Zverev, Berrettini, um, so you know Rublev. There's a whole host of players that I think you know could quite go quite far at the U.S. Open. Um, but also, interestingly, the prize money um, they've completely overhauled how they're doing it. So actually, it's much fairer distribution. The, the champion would earn, I think, just 19,000 euros more than the loser in the first round. So they're making it much more of an even split. Um, and like last year, it, the difference between a first round loser and the winner was like 85,000. So they've they've changed that, which is, is good. Um, it's a bit fairer, you know, in light of everything that's going on this year. Um, and then the ATP calendar has been updated as well. Um, to obviously Madrid's out. Uh, you've got Kitzbühel, then you've got Rome, Hamburg as well, um, and then Roland Garros, and then they've they've so far put St. Petersburg, Antwerp, Vienna, Paris, Sofia, and then we've got the ATP finals um, due to take place in November, and they have confirmed there won't be any fans in attendance for that. So, which you know, not a massive surprise. I mean, the ATP, the rest of the ATP season is pretty much going to be Europe, isn't it? Um, after. 
after the US Open. And of course, we will be there. Uh, well, we will virtually be there. there. Kind of- <laughs> even if, even if there were fans allowed, we wouldn't be there. Like, I mean, unless, you know, we won the lottery or whatever. Um, <laughs> we will virtually, we'll virtually be there catching up on all those, all those tournaments. I was also looking ahead, um, to the United States, uh, swing mini swing shall we say as well over the coming weeks um but yeah this is it this wraps it up for this episode of the passing shot i hope you've really enjoyed listening to this latest catch up um if you have done so feel free to subscribe to us on your uh, podcasting platform of choice whether that's apple Podcasts, spotify overcast Castbox, cast box wherever you listen to your podcasts and you if you have been enjoy enjoying listening to us make sure to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts as well. Yeah, you can also follow us on social media at Passing Shot Pod. So we're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so do let us know your thoughts, any uh, questions or suggestions. Um, you can also email us passingshotpod at gmail.com and we would love to hear from everyone. Yes. And as Kim said, we will be back for our Cincinnati preview uh next week once the the draws come out we'll be giving you a full download on those on those draws and our our thoughts on what to look out for when tennis does hit new york so i hope you can join us for that episode but in the meantime hope you've enjoyed listening to the passing shot we'll see you next time I'm going off to make a pavlova now. Um, so I'm, I'm putting my I'm putting some culinary skills to the test. I think you should go and watch the 2017 Australian Open second round. Novak <laughs> Djokovic, Dennis Istomin. Yeah. Remind yourself of the mo- most amazing victory. <laughs> Great Sunday afternoon uh, entertainment. Maybe I'll buy some Dennis Istomin sunglasses, some sunglasses as well. Oh my God. You'll be Uzbek's like greatest, greatest fan there. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.